Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by SiriusXM Canada. SiriusXM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. Today, I'm joined with Bruce Eccles, and I guess we'll dive right in. So, Bruce, for our listeners who may or may not know you, can you give us a little bit of background on who you are, when you joined the industry, what made you get into it, and your experience so far? Sure. I started in the industry in uh, 1975. Quite frankly, to be honest with you, it's because A, it was expensive to get my car fixed elsewhere and I had a keen <laughs> interest in cars. I initially started pumping gas and uh, got in the base of my first employer. And four years later, I was a class A licensed mechanic, as they called us then. And then uh, I think it was about nine years later, I started on my own and I've had a keen interest in fixing cars to a degree when I was younger, but now I have kind of an interest in the whole industry. I think it's just an amazing industry that's changed so dramatically since my early days. And I think it probably couldn't pick a better career choice. Uh, it's been good to me anyways. Yeah. So, uh, so how long have you owned your own shop then? I think we just celebrated what, our 36th anniversary. Congratulations. That's longer than I've been alive, believe it or not. <laughs> you know what? That's pretty good. My son, uh, who now uh, owns and operates the business, I work for him. He was two years old when we started. That's kind of cool. And so, so you said that a lot's changed sort of since your inception, since your entry into the industry. What, what are a couple of examples off the top of your head? I think, you know what, if you, just, if you don't even talk cars, if we just talk basic business. When I started in the trade, we were handwriting our invoices we were the guy that fixed the car, made up the work order, called the customer, sometimes drove the customer home, and everything in between there, including cleaning toilets. That's the way the trade was. So the first real dramatic change was, I would say, the introduction of maybe computers, which I think we started in the early 90s with, to understanding that you could not be a technician and work in the office and be productive. It was. It would be like calling a surgeon away from surgery to answer the phone. That was a big dramatic change in my personal business, me moving out of the bays, get into the office and work with my clients and let my technicians do their job. And, and then, of course, obviously, Peter, the, the other thing is the automobile itself. When I started in the trade, we were talking ignition points and carburetors and tune-ups spring and fall. And I don't mind telling you, cars were absolutely crap. And we were busy based on that. And I would honestly say we did repairs more than maintenance. That's completely 180 now. We do maintenance and we very seldom do catastrophic repairs. I mean, the automobile has changed so dramatically. I mean, you only have to lift the hood of a new car and, and, and then lift the hood of a 30 or a 40 year old car and you go, wow. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that just goes to show, I mean, the capability of manufacturing has increased so much. The quality of the automobile is unreal now. You know, when I started the trade, rust was a huge problem and cars would rot out sometimes even within the warranty period. And it was nothing for us, part of our general repairs, to fix a hole in the floor or fix a hole in the trunk. That was a common thing, Peter. Cars were rotten. And quite frankly, they all leaked oil. They all stunk when you started them up. They all needed to pull off blah, 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 big black smoke. And, you know, it's just it's just phenomenal how good cars are now. Yeah, well, that kind of creates a 
sort of a dichotomy in my mind. Because, I mean, when you're going down to like, certain Latin American countries in particular, like Cuba is a very good example. I mean, there's 50-year-old cars out there. And, I mean, they're obviously super well-maintained and serviced regularly. But you almost kind of could just get the skeleton. And they don't seem terribly affected by, you know, rust or corrosion or anything for some reason. Well, don't don't forget that climate's so much better. And the one thing that definitely in Ontario, which I can only really speak of Ontario's, I mean, we salt the roads, salt causes the corrosion, and uh, and the cars were poorly built, too. So it was a combination of many things. I've been to Cuba, and I have to admit, it's so cool seeing all these uh, 50s cars running around. But I did notice one thing from a mechanic's perspective. A lot of them were bastardized with various parts. Like, I've seen 57 Chevys with a one-ton truck axle in the back. You know, I think they're doing the best they can with what's available to them. Yeah, and on the flip side, I mean, I've seen motorcycles down there with, like, a lawnmower engine. Yeah. And then, you know what, <laughs> and of course, if, if you travel some of the Caribbean and that, you see uh, the same kind of thing with pe- people do the best they can with what they got in front of them. Circling back to Ontario, kind of leveraging your experience and your feet on the ground, what do you think are some major issues facing some smaller shops within Ontario as well as, I mean, obviously within Canada? There's quite a few actual substantial issues that are going to be arising in the next few years. I think one of the biggest things with is, has been an ongoing problem is keeping up with technology with regards to getting the information. That's one thing. And, you know, there's a lot going on in our industry with regards to that. But the other thing is, too, even if the information was available to us, it's keeping up with the technology from the perspective of the equipment you need, the amount of money you got to pay good technicians. The problem I see is, and I think most guys that are listening with it all in the shop, our, our labor rates are still way too cheap. Now, people are going to argue that and guys are going to say, well, what do you mean you're charging 130 an hour or whatever? My point is labor rates have not gone up the same as the new car has gone up in price. Look, when I started, you could buy a car for $3,000, $3,500. The relationship between the labor rate then and the labor rate now has not gone up the same. Trust me, we're not even close to that same. Yet the cars are more uh, advanced and need a lot more equipment to test them, like with regards to scan tools and what have you. The other thing that's a sidebar challenge that's sort of just been created in the last little while, it's a fear I have. The cost of real estate has gone up so dramatically, and it all parlays into what I just spoke of. For a shop owner to buy enough land in a good bit in a good community and build a shop or buy a used shop or whatever, you have to have a substantial amount of revenue to start. And because we've never charged enough money in our trade for a long, long time, no good businessman, if you took a business case study and looked at our industry, would you say, buy an auto repair shop? There's no chance that that's going to happen. And with the cost of real estate going up, I foresee a lot of shop owners, and I don't blame them if they own, take their million, two million, three million, whatever the property's worth, sell and retire. And the other flip side of that is if you're renting, and I already know this is happening to a lot of shops, especially in the Toronto area, your land is worth so much money. The landlord says, sorry, at the end of this lease, we're selling, we're putting an apartment here. We're developing it. Something it's, it all comes down to what I said earlier. We've never charged enough money. We still don't charge enough money. We don't turn over enough dollars in our trade and it's going to catch up with us. Yeah. And sort of drawing a parallel to another industry. I know that was a big concern. Still is a big concern. I mean, the farming community for the exact same reason. I mean, land prices are going up. The urban sprawl is sort of spreading. So that's kind of a a parallel issue, if you will. Yeah. How can you blame a guy that's, 
ran a business, like it's a great industry, don't get me wrong, but he's ran a business for 30 or, or so years. The property he bought, maybe at a good time back then in the 1970s or whatever, is now worth many millions of dollars. And he's worked his butt off all these years. Yes, he's got a nice house and maybe he's even got a cottage or even a boat type thing. But my point being is now he says, why would I continue to do this when I can sell my business, my property? The heck with the business, sell the property and retire. And I mean, I don't blame the guy at all. It'll create a yeah. circumstance where there's a balance out because as more people leave, the remaining ones, it's the supply and demand. So they'll be able to charge more. So it'll be more attractive, more lucrative to get back into. I mean, obviously it'll take a while to get to that point, but I think there is a tipping point. Peter, my point is it's when we break it all down, it's just simply the small shop owner as we knew and loved over the years, the mom and pop operations, very difficult to run like that nowadays. Like that's just that's just the reality of it is. I mean, quite frankly, uh, there was a time where you could make a living with a couple bays and there would be enough work and everybody was happy, but those days are long gone. So I guess kind of tying into this, what what's the recipe for success? So if you could with with a golden hand, switch one thing or two things about the industry. I mean, obviously, probably labor rates would be one of them based on your your previous answer there. But is is there something else that you can think of offhand that would be sort of not not a golden fix necessarily, but like uh, I saw a step in the right direction. One thing I've always kind of dreamed about. I used to always said I'd like to see our trade turn into a profession, and by that I mean I'd like from governing bodies to the consumer to recognize our industry better than it does. I think we have got ourselves away from the grease monkey and people are accepting that we're auto technicians. We tend to undersell ourselves dramatically to the point of it annoys me when I see foolish, foolish advertising, we'll beat this price or that price. These guys race to the bottom of the market. No, I'd like to be recognized more as a profession and I'd like to, I'd like to see that people understand that the importance we pay, we play not just in getting people to work every day, but in how much we add to the economy of the country. It's a huge billion dollar industry. And yet somehow, I don't know why, but we're so understated. We're so, I, I don't even know the word I want to use, but the point is, that's one thing I wish would change. I wish that people recognize just how important our industry is. And, and from the small independent repair service provider, how important we are to keep value and integrity and pricing at a level that's fair to all. When you consider that if all the independent repair service providers tomorrow quit, first of all, you'd wait three to four weeks to get your car serviced. You'd have to take it back to the dealer. And there's no way in the world it'd be competitive pricing because they'd have the, they'd have the market cornered. So I guess the one thing I'd like to see the golden, however you put it, would be maybe better recognition, a little more, as Rodney Dangerfield would say, I'd like to get some respect. Oh, and I think part of the problem is it doesn't have kind of like the sexy appeal of other things that keep our economy going. I mean, if you think like lawyers, doctors, firemen, those, like I said, like the sexy professions. And then there's the guys who really keep the economy moving, like the factory workers, the auto techs, truck drivers. They don't really get the same amount of recognition or thought, I guess, in like a larger societal sense. I mean, listen, there was a time where if you struggled, if you struggled in school, 
but you went out, got a job, maybe fixing cars, because quite frankly, cars were simple. Well, you know what? They're not simple anymore. You've got to be smart. You got to be able to, you got to read, you got to comprehend, you've got to problem solve. You've got to understand some real, not basic electronics. You've got to understand real electronics. And, uh, and the whole, the whole industry from that perspective needs to get away from the past move forward. And as I alluded to earlier, one of the problems is it's it's not just the consumer, our own industry. We 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 shoot ourselves in the foot. We downplay how important we are. We don't tend to understand that it's it's not a race to the bottom. It's it, you are a professional, act like a professional, charge like a professional, make a professional wage. But we can't do that in our own industry. I mean, the, I see it all the time where I will open up a newspaper, a local paper, and some guy will have some crazy lowball advertised price for some service that I go, man, first of all, you're not making any money. But more importantly, that's, this, this, is the whole, this is the whole thing I'm talking about. Do a good job, charge good money. You're just making it hard for all of us to make a living when you're doing something for nothing. And there's no need for it, you know? I, I hear you exactly. I, 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 can, I can hear the passion in your voice, too. I mean, this is obviously something that's been developing over a long time. And I think only getting worse. The other thing is, too, and I, it's, I'm, I'm involved in Aero, the automotive aftermarket retailers of Ontario. And that's basically automotive service providers. And it's amazing how many how we have trouble getting guys to join an association that works on their behalf it is a voice it is a voice for the small independent shops and i say small i mean you could have 10 bays but you're still small my whole point is they they are a voice to the government they're a voice for uh, insurance group benefits they got lots of reasons but not only that the reality of it is as a collective group we need to have someone that can whether it's dealing with the ministry of transport or the ministry of labor or workmen's comp for crying out loud there's so much bureaucracy you need that voice yeah we've got all these guys that are proudly independent but also proudly foolish because as a as a collective group if we have like a thousand members we've got a little bit of clout when we can't get a guy to join because he says well i don't know if i could utilize it well you know you don't understand that you don't understand how important it is as a group that we get together and make things happen and, and uh, not, nothing's going to change if we don't start changing the way we do business because you know the old thing if you do it the way you're doing it all the time what's going to change nothing and it gets me so upset yeah well, it, it really is true the power and numbers thing so this has been part one of the podcast yeah. with bruce eccles thank you for joining us bruce my pleasure and tune in next week to have the conclusion of my and Bruce's conversation. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.